Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good evening, oh, God. lovely viewers of the show. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> That's Grant. Yeah. And I'm here. Jake here, and Mitch is also with us. Yeah, we're hanging He's around. He's in the room. We are starting a cult. We're, we're doing the business. You know, we always do it every, uh, typically every week. And we're back. We're going to finish up our series today on the master himself, uh, John, Johnald Frederick Kendall. Yeah, master of his head just doing that. But, yeah, we are actually wrapping it up today. This is obviously part three. And the conclusion to our series on Mr. JFK. Yeah. So, I know that the last two weeks have been a bit of... Um, I wouldn't say repetitive, but things that you may or may not have known before. Yeah, sprinkle with maybe interesting things where you were just like, oh. Yeah. But then we just go right into something else that you've heard before. Yeah. So those are very, very, very important details that lead up to what we're going to talk about today because I have, I'm not certain. Um, it might go quick, it might not, um, but it's certainly juicy, meaty, and thick, and it's going to take some time. Well, considering we just talked about it out there in the other room for like three hours, and then it just got really uh, philosophical and, and blanketed, uh-huh. I feel like it's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to take some time. Um, but today, we I... We really should have recorded what we said out there. We pre- That should have just been the episode. We should have done part three la- three next hours. week. Yeah. Um, but... What we're going to be talking about today, at least what I'm going to be talking about today, I'm not sure what Jake's got. I'll be um, providing moral support and what I think is funny, I'll say that. Okay, I like that, I like that, that's good, that's uh, that's a good role. Um, it, yeah, it's weird, huh? It's flipping the script. I, I actually have stuff to talk about today. How Grant's weird. got a script, I have nothing. This is weird. Um, yeah, keep in mind, I actually don't have a script, I just have a jumble <laughs> of notes. So oh, you have... You I'm going to be doing my best. You have a bigger baseline knowledge than I do, but I still know some things. Fair. So today, we're going to be talking about something that is relatively insane, um, okay? Obviously, as we can all tell. But we're going to be talking about part of the JFK conspiracy that you may or may not know. And 
Jake, you had a little bit of a taste of it outside, you know, just the little basic things that we were talking about. Yeah, it goes against a lot of things that we've uh, established as fact in the past two episodes. It just kind of throws a lot of that out. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. There's other things that are just assumed in, in their place, and they're just like, well, if that's true, then that makes sense. If that's true, then this is that. But then it's like, who's lying to me? Everybody. You know, everyone's lying. So who the fuck knows what's going on? I'm just uh, We just went by what was on the government documents for most of the past episodes. Very but this true. one is going to be just like, oh, you'll see. You'll see. Yeah, and this one, we're going to be going off script just a little bit here, okay? Um, But we're going to be talking extremely about a man named Richard or Francis Richard Connolly, okay? Extremely. So the reason obviously he's the basis for this whole episode because he is the person that wrote the book called From JFK to 9/11 Everything is a Rich Man's Trick. He is a historian and a published author that knows his shit, all right? Like very much knows his shit. Um I'm going to post the link to the documentary on the show notes below. Um, if you want to check it out, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Isn't it like four and a half hours? Uh, it's three and a half. Ah. But there's a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of dates. And there's a lot of specific detail that I didn't do only because it it adds to the story, obviously, but it, it gets very mundane, if especially if we're just talking about it. And then it'll take three and a half hours, and plus we have to try to be entertaining at the same time. Yeah. So that would be just days. So I, I trimmed trimmed some stuff. There's a lot of fucking information in there about everything. Um, but So in order for us to start, I'm going to briefly take us back to post-World War One. okay? Oh. Okay, yeah, that's that's a long time ago. Okay, so post World War One, Germany is in shambles, right? Everybody knows they got nothing. They're poor. We all know the historical stories of them burning their Deutschmarks because they were fucking worthless, right? Yeah, we all know that. Everybody's oh, yeah. heard that. Wheelbarrows full of Deutschmarks for bread. Now, obviously, we're gonna get into Hitler, but after this. It was learned by a lot of companies throughout the world that money could really be made heavily off of war and struggle, right? We know that. It just makes sense, yeah. Um, So we're moving into Hitler, right? We got a guy who's in jail. He's writing some crazy thoughts down, you know? We know you're all clamoring for Hitler, so here's your section. And the idea of fascism was really, really gripping the rich people because... Under a fascist regime, there would be no limits to what they were capable of, right? Now, to understand the idea of limitless money, the the Rothschilds are a conversation in and of themselves, right? I mean, we that could probably be a fifteen part series if we tried to do that. That would, yeah, that would be very. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that anytime soon. No, the Rothschilds essentially bankrolled. Everything in American industry, right? They helped build the railroads. They helped build all of the markets. They, Oil, everything. They do it all. And in order to get to a level similar to that, where there is no price range because you own what needs to be done, 
The idea of fascism started to grow popular among these rich elites, right? Um, where it goes from here is Hitler was specifically chosen, okay? Hitler was specifically chosen by these fascist people because they believed that he would be the perfect spokesperson for fascism. And I would say they pretty much nailed that on the fucking head. He had some compelling speeches, I hear. Mm-hmm. So... Hitler's rise to power is no mistake. It is backed by corporate money. It is backed by fascist belief. And he is brought into the limelight. Now, you might be saying, that's fucking insane. None of that makes sense. Well, we got to look at the paper trail. U.S. Steel, Standard Oil, Remington, and Ford Automotive were huge proponents of World War II. Because they provided all of the bullets, steel, oil, and car parts, respectively, to the Nazis. But, on the flip side, they also provided the same products to the Allies. They doubled their fucking sales because they knew war was happening. Somebody's got to buy bullets and buy guns and buy cars. Who better to sell it to than both? You gotta sell it to both sides of the people at war. Yeah, it's just like the it's like the macrocosm of what the the mafia was doing at the time of JFK. Exactly. Yep. So it is whether you you can choose to not believe this, but the truth of the matter is, Henry Ford was granted an Iron Eagle by Hitler him fucking self. How about that? What an honor! And obviously, Henry Ford was a Nazi sympathizer. That's pretty common knowledge. Um, well, was he actually, like, did he actually believe in it, or was he just doing business with them so people just assumed that? Well, that's that's sort of the age-old question, but... <laughs> was he really a Nazi, or did he just... I would was say... Was he just heavily involved? I would say regardless of the answer to that question, he's a Nazi sympathizer. The answer is he's he's probably not good. Um, but, yeah, Standard Oil... Fix or repair daily. Standard Oil and U.S. Steel are two companies that were very not widely known to be a part of that. But they did sell products to the Axis powers, all right? We, we know that. Um, why am I talking about this, right? This has nothing to do with JFK. I was thinking the same thing. Well, it's a little bit of base knowledge because after Hitler is defeated, after the war is over, whether it is out in the open or not, the fascist ideals did not go away, okay? And this is where a lot of these specific names and details are omitted for our purposes because then it would kind of spiral off into a tangent about who this guy was and what he was capable of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but needless to say but like you you mean in saying that like fascism didn't go away you're not saying that there weren't any more like fascist governments necessarily it's like the the ideals of fascism yeah. were still at play Yes. In other forms of government, right? Yeah, the beliefs that fascism brought to the table were still... They did not leave. Um, and there, there's a lot of more detail in the documentary, obviously. But just understand that the ideals of fascism didn't leave because there's money in fascism. There's a lot of money to be made. And who loves money but capitalists? Right. There you go. You got to think about it this way. So now, or, or everybody, I guess, but still. Now that you understand this, we've talked about JFK, right? You know the base rules. You know he was anti-CIA. You know he was anti-mafia. And you know he stirred a lot of shit with a lot of different people. A lot of different like companies, manufacturing, things for war. Yeah. So, 
together. Now, understand this. This is the conspiracy theory proposed by the author, okay? It's something that, honestly, after researching it and watching it and reading, I don't think he's very far off or wrong at all, to be honest. What was the name of that author again? Uh, Francis Richard Connolly. Excellent name. Let me triple check that. Yep, Francis Richard Connolly. Um, so, we're going to dive right into the theory. I don't know where it's going to take us. Strap in. This is something you might have heard bits and pieces of this. It's going to go places you weren't ready for. Yeah, head first into the shallow end, and then you're going to die at the bottom, go way down to the deep end. In the early 60s, the CIA, the Mafia, and fascist business representatives had every reason to want to kill JFK. Obviously, he was anti-everything they stood for, as well as just generally upsetting the status quo of politicians, right? He was new. He was fresh. Yeah. They worked together to kill him. The three branches of, essentially, the government at that time, if you want to call it that, the mafia, the CIA, and the fascists, worked together to make this shit go down. It's funny that the fascists are just everyone actually in the government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in that scenario. Um, Do you know what, so, so, Sorry, this is no, like a good. little tangent, but like, um, I actually, a while ago, I read this book by, um, I think his name is Slavov or Zizek. His last name's Zizek. He's like a philosopher. Uh-huh. I read his book, Violence, and he talks for a good long time about Bill Gates being a democratic fascist. Yeah. And I just remembered that. A little bit. <laughs> just it, now. Hey, think about it. Put it in I was like, oh my God, Zizek has his fingers on the pulse. <laughs> Dude, fascism is, it's still in play. Uh, at least the ideals of it are still in play. Yeah. But go on. I'm sorry. Um, And just in case you wanted to tie a name to this, I did add a name. Sam Giancarna, he was a mafia boss from the Chicago area. He was one of the people that was brought into these early meetings about getting rid of JFK. And we have actual evidence that he was hired before by the CIA when they tried to overthrow Castro. He was part of that group as well. Uh, Yes, one of the many times. For some reason, is it weird that they could never get Castro, the CIA? They couldn't they figure tried it out. So many like in the eighties amounts of times. Yeah, they couldn't figure it out. They just couldn't do it. So step number one was a simple one. Finding themselves a patsy. And who better to pick than Lee Harvey Oswald, who was being very closely watched by the CIA for a lot of the shit that he did overseas. And the KGB. Yeah, he was definitely highly observed. Perfect patsy. He had the right amount of craziness to go along. Kind of had everything working. He lived in Russia. He was, like, starting, like, pro-Castro fucking, like, meetings in New Orleans when he was living there before he went to Mexico and tried to go to Cuba. Yeah. He was on the radar. He was on the radar. Perfect patsy. So, the killing was... It was decided that the killing was the easiest part. The true, true issue was finding a way to create the narrative that had no faults. All right? Obviously. The number one thing they came up with it was rather simple, but in play, and as the story unfolds, you'll see why it didn't work out well. The one thing that they needed to do was completely control the body after death. It's, as long as they were able to do that, it didn't matter how he died, because they could change it. 
It helps that he can't fight back, too. Yeah, exactly. He's, so it's he's like dead. the killing wasn't the the hard part. The hard part was how do we get this body and have complete control over all of it? Because this shit's going to be he's going to be autopsy. Everything, every angle will be looked at. How do we control that? Yeah. So it was decided the best way to make this happen was to form a team instead of having a single person. This way, there were people that kind of help out if something slipped through the cracks if somebody backed out there was a person they were waiting and the generic term of just in case human error happens they're ready which it definitely will yeah so at this time sam giancarna the man i mentioned earlier involved in the mafia he or this is this one might throw you guys off a little bit all right but just follow me here because it's it's real sam giancarna he ordered Jack Ruby. All right, that's a name you might be familiar with. Oh. He ordered Jack Ruby to keep an eye on Lee Harvey Oswald while the plan was unfolding. And do you know why? Because, contrary to the popular narrative of Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby was a political associate of Richard Nixon during the election. See, this was the main thing I was talking about when I said, like, it directly goes against a lot of stuff we said previous. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, Jack Ruby was, like, talking to people in the mafia, but he didn't even know they were in the mafia, and it wasn't about that stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was just a nightclub owner with a bad temper. It's like, no, he was, like, an advisor to Nixon, supposedly. Yeah. So the thing is this. Now, what needs to be understood is that I don't think he was a political associate in the terms of, you know, he's a confidant. I think it might have possibly been more along the lines of campaigning, um, using his club, things of that, like the draw he had was used. But either way, it was it was for pro-Nixon purposes. Yeah. I'm Jack Ruby. You all know me. Yeah, his, exactly. His famous tagline because he's telling everyone about politics. So now they have to assemble the team. And it's a rather large team. And I'm not going to mention a lot of names. I think I have maybe three or four. Um, but the first person selected was Charles Void Harrison. He was a hitman for the mafia with a very clean record, confirmed over 55 kills at this point. Very, very solid, kept his mouth shut, did his work. Wait, I'm sorry. Was this pronounced Harrison or Harrelson? Harrelson. Ah, uh, yes. Because he is also the father of Woody Harrelson, the famous actor. The guy who trained the girl in fucking uh, Hunger Games. Yes. Yeah. Hamish. And in, he had other roles, but that's the only one I can think yeah, of. Yeah, his father was selected as the first shooter because he was a close associate. He was not in the mafia, but he was a very close associate that would work with the, uh, for lack of a better term, doing the dirty jobs. He literally had cards that he would pass out. Yeah. Saying that he would kill people if you paid him to do it. So from here, the Mafia is assembling a team for the CIA. So essentially, this is the chain of command. The fascist corporation owners, the fascist you know, shadow government, whatever you want to call it, they're financing it through the CIA. The CIA is orchestrating the plan, and the Mafia is doing the work. Okay? So that's the system they have in place here. So the shadow government is completely out of the question. They're out of the equation. You don't even know they exist. The CIA is doing it, but they're keeping their hands clean by having nobody affiliated with the CIA be involved. Okay? Theoretically, yeah. So the mafia was now gathering shooters from all over the world. Um, 
They were typically gathering friends of the mafia, not people actually associated with them, for obvious reason, in case they get caught. Yeah, it makes sense. And they had to be proven to be trustworthy. Some were flown in from Cuba. Others were from different parts of the U.S. There was, like, famous Corsican hitmen and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of them was to receive $50,000, and they were paid beforehand as to limit the connection between the killing. This way... You know, they have the money, and it's not like JFK dies, and now suddenly all these people have 50 grand to spend. Yeah, and I, know? I bet there's probably going to be some eyes on some funds after something like this happens. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to move into a little bit of the CIA and what role they played. Um, sort of the puppet master role, okay? George H.W. Bush used his CIA connections to get in touch with George Lumpkin. He was the head of the Dallas police, all right? This was before... Um, George, Giorgio, he was the head of the CIA, right? It was before. Yeah, then. this is before. Um, J. Edgar Hoover is still the, the man to be over Pre-leader. There. Um, so, he gets in, in touch with George Lumpkin. All right, George and George are working together. Hilarious. Dude. Now, George Lumpkin has a connection to a local military intelligence agency. There's sort of a... I don't know what you would call it. They're sort of like a militia, but they don't actually like do anything other than kind of gather intelligence and kind of play games. It's kind of like, oh, you go to your office job, and on the weekends you hang out with your buddies and like have guns in a place you rented, and you're just like, we're militia, we're we're defending. Sort of. It's sort of fun. And the it's a fun club. The the Defending reason that fun. they have the abilities they do this agency is because they have a lot of connections. It's made up of a three-headed attack. So there's members from three different areas of the Dallas population. Number one, about half of the police force is in the society. The KKK is in the society. Oh, hey, all right. First time hearing of them being mentioned in the story. As well as members of the John Birch Society. So you got three prominent people. Well, the KKK aren't prominent, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You got three groups working together to kind of gather the intelligence and things they have and figure out what's going on. Yeah. So now that they had this, this essentially covered the streets, right? They were able to remove some of the police presence, control the police presence that was there, and get a lot of the bystanders to not be in control, but to look in the proper direction. Okay? Okay, makes sense, yeah. The bonus was this. Since half the police force was on it, they could utilize them to get what they needed done, but the reaction would be genuine from the other half, right? Because they they have no idea. They don't know what's going on. Yeah. So you would get a genuine police reaction to this, right? Oh, goodness gracious. This is already a lot. You take a break? Woo! No, I'm good. No? All right. Well, all right. Sweet. Now I ask the question of this. What if the snipers missed their shot, right? Well, that would just be awful. There had to be a contingency plan. And the contingency plan was there had to be somebody in or next to the car. So this this is the original plan. All right, now keep in mind, this is a fucking insane plan. They and, probably went through some uh, some workshops there. Yeah. So the the original plan was this. If all the sniper shots missed... If they couldn't get him pinned down, if they couldn't hit him, they were literally going to have a man run up next to the car and just shoot him in the head. I feel like they just could have done that anyway. They could have, 
But they decided, and then just have him just kill himself. They Kamikaze. Des- they decided against this because it could play out similar, but then there would be you would need motive for that. Similar to you got to think of it this way. Motive isn't the right word. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald. The story goes, you know, he had his motives, and but there's a reason why he wasn't stopped. Right? He was far enough away. Yeah, well... But it, this guy, if he wasn't stopped, questions would be asked about the p- protection. No, yeah. Well, this know? is where some of the, like, what's accepted as the real, like, real history as opposed to conspiracy thought. <clears throat> Even in, like, what we found, it seems like he had no problem with Kennedy and he decided he was going to kill him a day and a half beforehand. So that kind of falls in line with what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it it's a, that was the plan. They decided to go against it. So they ended up with their final nail in the plan, right? They were going to have somebody in the car as the final plan. If if everything failed, there was going to be somebody in the car that would be able to make it work. Now, keep this in mind because we're going to come back to this point later. That person was Jackie Kennedy. So, there is an individual named Marissa Lorenz, all right? And she was a close friend. That's what they describe her as. She was fucking this guy named Willie Sturgis. Or Frank Sturgis, sorry, not Willie Sturgis. Sounds like fun. Frank Sturgis. And Frank Sturgis was actually one of the burglars at Watergate later in history. But that's not the point. He's just all over history at this point. Um, She testified under oath that she was in the car with Frank and drove from Miami to Dallas, followed by a car filled with three Cubans who would later become the shooters, and in their car was filled with guns. All right? Hmm. She testified under oath that this is what happened to her. Um, so they got to a motel uh, where they met a man named E. Howard Hunt, who was a CIA agent and a rather high-ranking CIA agent. Okay? All right, sweet. And Frank Sturgis was given a very thick envelope filled with cash. And ding, ding, ding. This all occurred on November 21st. All right. Which is three days before? Uh, No, one. One? It was the 22nd. It was the 22nd. Oh, jeez. I'm forgetting um, simple things like dates. So now we're getting to the big day. Getting to the big day. JFK's big day. As soon as JFK lands, you know, he gets escorted to the car. Everybody's cool. Everything's going. Something weird happens right the fuck away. Okay? Right away. As they often do. The Secret Service agent that was tasked with following the car on foot. So essentially, there were these metal bars that were welded onto the back of the car. And they would, you could see it in the car that was trailing JFK's car. They would kind of stand and just hold the side. And it was just to have Secret Service agents around the president. Yeah, very like standard, like the way that they would drive around normally in situations just like this when it's like a motorcade, they would literally have like Secret Service agents hanging from the car on all sides. Yeah. So immediately, and this is shown in footage as well. This is, you can watch this in the documentary, but it's footage as well. Immediately upon him grabbing that handle, he's dismissed. He's told to step down. And this dude looks pissed. Like, he's confused. He's like, what the fuck am I here for? This is my job. But it leaves nobody blocking clear and concise view of the president. But, weirdly enough, 
the Secret Service agents that were tasked with doing the same thing as this gentleman on the car following JFK were not dismissed. They were there. They were, they're there in the Zapruder footage. They're there. Mm-hmm. They're there. Oh. Now we're going to move into another person, okay? Malcolm Wallace. Malcolm Wallace was the shooter that was in the book depository, all right? I thought it was I thought it was Lee. No. Uh, but he was What? <laughs> uh, no. How could you think that? Wrong. He was a politician, Malcolm Wallace, um, that actually... A politician did this. He w- well, he, keep in mind. He was okay. a politician that had actually ended up murdering somebody oh, and classic. was no longer a politician. But he had a rap for murder at this point. All right? <laughs> all right. Okay, yeah. I can accept all that. Now we're getting into a little bit of a weird stuff. So JFK's motorcade is on the move, okay? Now we're going to actually get into the assassination and the assassination attempts. All right? More than 15 witnesses were interviewed by news, radio, national news, and local news of saying that they saw other people that weren't in the book depository. They were in surrounding buildings aiming rifles down at the street. Multiple different people from all age ranges. There's a 15-year-old that says it, and there's like a 60-year-old, and everybody in between. There's mm. witnesses. They're, uh, so they're saying that all these people were on tops of buildings and shit? On tops, in windows, things like that. Yeah. All right. Um, they so, probably just figured it was like Secret Service. like Pretty much, Protecting yeah. against uh, what they actually were. Yeah, that, that's what, they probably didn't think twice about it, you know? Um, but this is where we're going to we're going to start moving into some stages here, okay? So stage 1 of 4. There was four plans, all right? So if one didn't pan out, two would have to, and if that didn't, three and then four. And I don't know what would happen after four if that one didn't work. Maybe just the the shooting him in the head point blank from the side of the car thing. Yeah, so the Maybe. reason that they wanted to do this in four stages was so that not only do they make sure he gets hit and killed, but they didn't want the head to be, uh, lack of a better term, eviscerated, um, because that would be a little bit more evidence that there's multiple bullets, right? Theoretically, yeah, but, I mean, hitting anyone in the head with a bullet, I'd say, is is risky of, you know, eviscerating it. It can, but you had to think, especially then, like, Fifty caliber sniper rifles weren't really the the norm. Like these were just regular rifles, so you know. Well, it not can't necessarily, happen. but like frangible bullets that fucking explode and like create shards and like. That's true. Enormous explosions upon. But their fear was that if he was shot, let's say it worked out perfectly, and four different riflemen were to shoot at the same time and hit him in the head. His head would literally just be gone. There'd be nothing left. Yeah, that'd be... And that would pose the I question... I would love that footage. That would straight up pose the question of, like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, this shit's supernatural. I would actually entertain the idea that his head just did that, if that's what happened. Yeah. It would mm-hmm. have exploded. Now, had stage one succeeded, the single bullet theory or the single shooter theory... Would be a thing. That that was the main plan, was to clean and be done. Yeah, it would have been generally accepted. But it missed. The shot missed. It went wide right. And funny enough, th- this is on footage as well, and this is confirmed by police reports. It missed, and it hit the curb, 
and it ripped out a chunk of concrete, and the concrete hit a man named James Teague. In the cheek, yeah. James Teague, he was cut by the cement shrapnel. When the shot missed, now this is going to maybe kind of blow your mind a little bit. If shot one was to miss, the man with the umbrella plays a part. Umbrella gunman? The umbrella. He doesn't have a gun. Do you know what his job was? His job was to signal to the rest of them that stage one was not complete. It was to open the umbrella and everyone's just like, it's go. Yes. Stage two is a go. His job was to be there. Man, I always liked the theory that it was a gun, the umbrella. It's kind of it's like some Batman shit, though. Yeah, you know? it's like literally the Penguin. Yeah, that'd be amazing. And that he killed the president. <laughs> but that was his role. His role was to be there to give a clear and concise sign to the other gunmen, saying, "Hey, we missed. Go for it. Go for step two. Step two was a little bit harder. All right. So this is where two rifle shots are to go together." Now, there is a different angle of footage that is in the White House, right? It's in the National Archives. Okay. And you can hear two separate pops. You can hear two separate gunshots very, very close together. Almost as if you're shooting like a semi-automatic, you know? Okay. Well, um, I'm, this only makes me think of like uh, our episode on the Las Vegas shooting, where it was like you could have one shot go off and the way that it would echo would literally sound like another one going off yeah that's valid you know? that is a valid point i, I gotta suggest that i'm too. not here to poke holes i'm just here to you know listen no no, no right i get now. you um also so, you can poke holes in any narrative of this story that has ever existed yeah i mean you could that that's why we that's why we're talking about so it. so i'm just gonna keep doing whatever i want yeah um so the the next stage is the two rifle shots at the same time one of the bullets hits jfk not a kill shot, but it hits him, all right? The next one misses, and it hits the windshield in the front. Now, local police reports by the Dallas PD after the fact do confirm that there is a bullet hole in the car, in the windshield, where it would suggest that the bullet exited into the car from the front of the windshield. This is a, You could look that. That's a real thing. There's a police report about it. It's funny, I've never heard anyone talk about the windshield being struck at all. Uh-huh. Now, whew, now this is when you, in the footage, like the footage we can all watch online. There's a prude. Yeah, there's a pruder. This is where you see JFK do that, like, slumping arms up thing, you know? Yeah, when he has the back brace and he can't go down. He's in some physical discomfort here, but this is where the single bullet theory flies out the fucking window. Because JFK flies through the window. JFK's been hit, and at this point, nobody else is hit, right? Since he wasn't hit yet, it was time to go for step three. The remaining five shooters all were to shoot together. At this point, it was a free-for-all. Just fucking kill him. Hell yeah. Fucking kill him. I would love to be a part of something like this. A shot misses and hits Governor Conley, right? Right in the arm. Mitch appreciated that. I appreciate it, <laughs> All right, there you go, there you go. Right in the arm. Malcolm Wallace hits JFK in the back. All right, so now he's got a gunshot through his back and through his neck. All right? He's got two. That's, yeah. The first known shot... Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Malcolm Wallace hit JFK in his back, and this is the first known shot by Secret Service agents. At this point, they know there's a gunman. Yeah. They don't know the extent, but they know fucking shit's popping yeah, down. Yeah, there's bullets going through the president. Um, at this point, there's obviously no headshot. 
Um, so Governor Conley in the front seat is hit now. JFK has been hit twice. There's a bullet in the windshield. Um, a lot of the other ones missed. And in the documentary, it's it actually makes a lot of sense because the, the point he made was that, so you got eight shooters, right? But you got to think, the way he compared it to was golf. He's like, you can be the best sniper in the world, just like you can be the best golfer in the world, but it doesn't account for things that naturally occur during the course of a day, and maybe you're just having an off day. Yeah, it's like holes in one are extremely rare, no matter how good you are. Yeah, and it's like you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get it perfect every time. That's why they had the team. And yes, there's a lot of shots, things of that nature, but that's okay. That's such is the story. Now, this is when William Greer, the driver, in the Zapruder footage, you can see it as well, is seen cocking his head backwards, right? He's looking back at JFK. Yeah. Uh, this is where shit gets weird. He was supposed to speed up. In an instance like this, when you're driving a presidential motorcade, you're supposed to punch the gas and get the fuck out of there. That just makes sense. Yeah, I think anyone would do that. He didn't. Uh, William Greer slowed down and actually came to a stop. Um, this is where shit gets a little muddled. And you, the documentary is going to do it more justice because you can visualize it. But I'll talk about this a little bit later as well. Um, in the footage... Things look a little fucking different. All right. Um, everybody's looking different. In the footage, we can see shadows are very, very sharp. And that is an odd point. Shadows are good, but the people are very blurry. And if you look at the police motorcycles that were following the motorcade, in the Zapruder footage that we can see, at the end of it, it seems as almost if they teleport. Because they're behind very far, and then the next shot, they're next to the car. Alright? It is believed that some of the Zapruder film was reanalyzed, and about 30 to 40 frames were cut from the footage, at least that we get to see. And the reasoning is because the car stopped. Right? 30 to 40 frames is not long, but that is that's enough. Yeah, right? That's enough, yeah. So we'll we'll kind of touch on this in a in a little bit. Dude, have you seen uh, the the Mormon photo? What? It's a it's it's so it sounds like I'm talking about the 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 freak religion, but no, it's a Mormon with two O's uh, between the o, M and R. Oh no, not that it was I a woman. Of. She took a picture at the exact moment that JFK's head fucking did that. Uh huh. And. I kept hearing about it, and everyone was like, that's an iconic. It's amazing. I looked it up. It's the worst fucking photo I've ever seen. <laughs> You're like, this yeah. is terrible. This I can't shit. see anything. This is dog shit. Let me show it to you right now. You keep going. Okay. So, Charles Harrison was one of the shooters. He was the individual on the grassy knoll. Um, and it is believed that he got the headshot, right, among the conglomerate doing this thing. It's believed that he's the one that got the headshot. But... Analysis of the body and the footage proves that that cannot be true for one very simple reason. JFK's head in the video goes up and to the left, right? Mm -hmm. Check this out. All right, let's see this picture. Yeah. I don't even know what the fuck I'm looking at. You don't at. even see. Here, look, I'll zoom in on, oh, is on the him. Oh, is it the grassy knoll? This is, this is, that's his head and that's Jackie. 
Oh, okay. Look at his head pieces. Look like a smiley face. It looks like a stick. Yeah, it's weird. Is up there, and then like just some some masses of, of black. It is strange. Doesn't look like anything. Anyway, anyway go ahead. I like that. I'm gonna post it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's three dudes in the back. Who are they? But the footage shows that his head went up and to the left when he gets hit. We can all see that happen if you watch it. If he was to be shot from a grassy knoll, his head would go down and to the right based on the trajectory. It would not be going... Or wait, no, it would be down to the left. Sorry, my mistake. I had that wrong. God damn it. No one's going to believe us. Because the grassy knoll was higher than the street. So how the fuck would his head go up if the bullet has to travel down to get him? You know, you like lean into the punches, you know? It's weird. In the microsecond that the bullet's going through your head, you're going to want to push against that. Yeah. Um, That's what maybe people say. Oh, God, it is weird. It is fucking weird. Okay. Never been shot. Don't know how it goes down. So this is where the, the Zapruder film and the following footage is the most suspect thing ever. In the documentary, you'll see the picture. Um, if not, I'm going to try to find it, but it, it's a specific picture to find. Um, everybody is looking up at the grassy knoll, right? That's the one that spawned all the speculation. Yeah. But the cop that is standing immediately next to JFK is the only one looking in a different direction. And he's looking down at the ground into a storm drain. All right? Mm, the it clown. He was looking at it. Now, this is where shit gets fucking crazy. Pennywise jumps out, no. eats his brain. There was a ninth shooter. What? Okay. There was a ninth <laughs> shooter. He was... that. This was step four. Remember, we talked about one, two, and three. Step four. There was an he, air balloon. <laughs> He was number four. And William Greer stopped the car, right? Now, even fucking stranger, on the street, there is white spray paint in a very specific location on the curb, and it's still there to this day. You can go white out there and see it. White spray paint on the street? And it's exactly where William Greer stopped the car, and it's exactly the trajectory of where the bullet came from under the street. It explains why William Greer stopped the car. He turned around, saw that JFK had been hit but was still alive, had to initiate step four, stop the car, let the last shooter take care of it, right? So he, from the ground under, under the car? Wait, was it just in a good position from the sewer grate that was far away? Yes. Exactly. Right. It, well, no, it was still in the street. Like, it was not that well, far. Well, yeah, I mean, not. I was just like, for some reason, when you said, like, he stopped at a very specific spot... Like over by the sewer grate. I was thinking it was like over the sewer grate, and no. like he shot up through the car, and then it just went. No. It like it, <laughs> it did, did like a Vlad the Impaler esque sort of thing through his body, and then came out his head. No, it stopped in a specific <laughs> spot so that they would there'd be a good angle. Oh okay, yeah, I was gonna. Uh, oh, and oh, this also makes I thought sense he was gonna be turned into a fountain because in the footage you can see that JFK's head goes up and to the left, right. We can see that. We can no see left. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I mean, left. Ooh. So, there were two men in the sewer, okay? 
Wait, well, there's two now? They, well, one of them had the gun. The other one was just kind of there as part of the process. Oh, he's like, you got four clicks to the left. The so, wheel's going this way. We have Curtis Crawford. He was formerly CIA, and he was an employee of Jack Ruby at the time. Jack Lawrence was also in there. These two were in the sewer together. They were covered in mud after missing work that day under strange circumstances. They stumbled out of a drain pipe some three miles away, carrying a gun and covered in mud. Do we know how long after the initial shootings that this happened? About 48 minutes. 48 minutes. Because I know that there was, like, people... There were um, some members of the the Dallas Police Department that were like, maybe it was this. Maybe they were in the fucking train. And then they, like, actually put drills in order. They're just like, we did it in, like, 52 minutes, and then we kept just doing, like, better, and we got it down to 23 minutes uh-huh. or something like that. So, like, this was, this was like, a legitimate thing that they looked into, the possibility of it coming from the sewer Yeah, train. it could have been, and they got the fuck out of there. Um, they were just dirty. Within about 30 to 40 minutes... Harrelson and two of the other shooters were caught in a boxcar of a train right outside of the shooting area. There are pictures of both of them with, you know, standing in front of the courthouse with police surrounding them. And who else is standing there? Is George H.W. fucking Bush. Whoa. Whoa. So, at the end of the day, 16 total shots were fired and only three of them hit JFK. All right. Not yeah. a good percentage. Yeah, they probably should have, like, I don't know, maybe outsourced some of their their uh, their hired guns to people who could, you know, use guns better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, 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 a lot of it goes on ideals and, like, what they want for the country and world, I understand. Yeah. So now we're going to get into a little bit of the aftermath. The throat wound was not known until he made it to the hospital. The medical team confirmed that it could only have come from the front. The back of JFK's head was completely open and gone, yet his face remained intact for the most part, obviously. Oh, that's nice. He took a bullet in the right temple, um, so it wasn't perfect, but it was it was there more than the back. Um, and I'd say it was effective at very least. Actually, two of the medical examiners are in the documentary where they talk about this very thing, and they both admit that they're like, we looked at this thing from every angle, and it had to come from the front because it, it, it there's no other way. Like, there's just no other way it could yeah. work. Oh, okay. Let's go back a little bit, huh? Hey, 45 minutes in. How you feeling? Feeling good? Oh, I'm re- we're got... How much... We don't have that much more. We're getting to the end here. You're just puking up the greatest story ever told. We got a little bit more coming. J.D. Tibbet was a Dallas cop that was shot as well in the same time. All right. This wasn't the one that uh, I forgot the name of the cop that that Lee killed, but it wasn't him, right? No, 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 no. no. This was separate. All right. His nickname at work among the police force was none other than JFK, because he bore a striking resemblance to JFK. Now I've seen his it pictures. Just, oh, okay. It's not that striking, but it's enough. I was gonna say maybe it was like just a dyslexic or just a guy who didn't know how to spell christ just say jesus fucking christ because he hated him or something yeah i don't know or like uh just just for knives maybe he brought knives knives. um so he was shot he had the exact same wounds as jfk one in the chest one in the throat one in the head except these were the proper way these were coming from the back going out the front all right 
Weirdly enough, the bullets were removed from his body in the ambulance en route to the hospital where he was taken to Parkland Memorial, the same hospital as JFK. I feel like they don't do that. <laughs> People in ambulances. I feel like they don't remove bullets no, in no. the ambulance because, you know, you're in traffic and you're going fast. Now, this is where things are going to get a little bit strange. Um... Obviously, I know you've been sticking around this whole time. This is a very, very intricate and detailed and crazy conspiracy. But just hang in there. We're, we're at the tail end here. There's, a, there's another big twist coming, but that's the last one, I promise. Yeah. John Liggett. John Liggett. Sorry. <laughs> what did you just say? John Liggett. <laughs> he was an ex-CIA agent, and he was an excellent plastic surgeon. He was brought in immediately to dress the body for the funeral. He was put onto Air Force Two, the you know the companion to Air Force yeah, One, yeah, the shit version. He did what he had to do to J.D. Tibbet to make him look like JFK. Now it gets a little fucking crazy because what happened was this: he was doing it. He did a little bit of facial reconstruction, right, just to make it look proper. Yeah, but. When he went to do the brain of JFK, he saw a lot of things that were a problem. There were micro, uh, what do you call it, micro particles of steel that came out of the bullet. The fringeable bullet, yeah, it exploded in his head. There were millions of them. Yeah. All over his fucking brain. The bullet exploded. He couldn't do it. He had no time. He could not do that. And so did so, his head. John Leggett. Removed J.D. Tibbetts' brain entirely and shoved it into JFK's skull. Okay? Shoved it in. That's uh, that's kind of funny. Shoved it kinda the cartoony. fuck in. Just jammed it in there like it was nothing, all right? Itchy and scratchy-esque. Now, you know? got to keep in mind, what's interesting about this is that the autopsy hasn't been performed yet. They're flying back to D.C. and the autopsy is going to be done there. So he's preparing this shit, right? Can you imagine, like, he's just, like, he's got both the bodies there, and he just, like, starts switching the body parts, like, left and right, and he's like, I can't remember which one I already switched or not. These guys are all fucking muddled. Isn't that funny? It's like a Rubik's Cube. He's like, this is based on memory, and I'm freaking out. Um, so, I, there's fa- very famous footage of the casket being lowered out of Air Force One. According to the story, the casket was empty, because they, they he ran out of time. Liggett was not done, and he had to figure it out. So, what happened was this. The oak casket, the nice real casket, was for JFK. They had a very, very plain, just standard, just like a gray box on wheels for the other body. But the gray box on wheels, wasn't that made of some specific chemical that they say is to like preserve remains that are to later be fucking yeah, looked into? Uh, I, that I'm not sure of. You know what I mean? But it probably makes sense because I think it's just like a standard, like they said it's like a military issue. So it's like the one that they would send people home in, you know. So Plain probably as they preserves. Come. Yeah. Um, that I don't have all the details on that, but it it might be. Um, but the bodies were switched. He fucked up. John Liggett fucked up. All right. Wait. So, so, so John Liggett is the former CIA man who uh, was facially reconstructing the guy who looked yep. like JFK to more look like JFK, and then. But which which of the which of the coffins was empty? Because you said they got switched. Well, yeah, when they lowered it, it was empty. But then they the body was on a gurney, you know, so that they could bring it in for the autopsy. 
So that was later out of the public yeah. eye. Yeah. So right. the body on the the this is how crazy it is. The body. The body on the gurney that was about to be autopsied was the body of J.D. Tibbet. Okay. And the body in this fucking gray box was JFK. Okay. Okay. So he was a war hero. It makes sense. There's the... panic in the hospital because they know what's going on. Things are going back and forth. They do finally get it under control. They make the switch. They get JFK's body, the new and improved JFK body, onto the table, right? Yeah, with the splintered-ass brain. Yeah, so they got a lot of problems. They got a lot of problems. Um, The autopsy was confusing because... Yeah, I could see that. um, The orchestrators kind of fucked up the plan, right? You know, we just saw that. They didn't do it well. They didn't do it well, and now this guy's, like, playing the Grinch at the fucking post office with these guys' body parts. Mm -hmm. It's insane. The number one telltale sign of something fucky going on was the minute the coroner grabbed the top of the skull, fragments of brain came out, like just in pieces, just like chicken nugget-sized pieces of brain just started falling out. It's ready to go. And he was like, even in a, a case like this, this, this shit doesn't fly, right? This doesn't happen. Yeah. Um. So Paul O'Connor, he was the mortuary assistant. He had been there for a long time. He was very well-trusted. Obviously, he wasn't going to do this one. This was like the big kahuna boss, right? Yeah. Um, and he talks about it, and he actually was the one that brought to the, the story. He explains what the casket looked like, and he was like, the oak casket was empty. They wheeled in a gray, plain box. We opened it, and that was the body we were to autopsy. And he was like, we didn't really get to ask questions about it, right? Anywho... They get the autopsy report. It goes straight to the Warren Commission. All right? You want to hear how fucking stupid the Warren Commission is? Sure, yeah. The Warren Commission has a direct quote. And this is the quote. Quote, The bullet could only have entered and exited from the rear. End quote. So it just, like, it flipped a U-E? The Warren Commission suggested that the fucking bullet did a U-turn in his brain. Now that's a magic bullet there, okay? Fuck the, uh, the whatever speech, whatever actor did in the movie. A U-turn? That's fucking some... You ever seen the movie Wanted? Uh-huh. They can't even manage that in, like, that fucking small of a space. They're just going around rooms. So the final nail in the coffin is an interview with John Liggett's wife. John Liggett, again, is the the surgeon. The, the surgeon, former CIA boy. John Liggett's wife recalls that watching all of this unfold on TV, he was very anxious, and he kept telling her, we need to leave, we're fucked, we need to get out of here. And she was like, what are you talking about? They watched Lee Harvey Oswald get assassinated on live television together. Immediately after, immediately, he breathed a sigh of relief, gave her a hug, and they bought a million-dollar house. Oh, that's nice. million-dollar house. what a great evening for her. Weird enough, he dies a couple of years later, and she actually brings this to the table. This is what really made her talk. The body at the funeral of her husband had a mustache, and she made a big stink out of it because he had a condition. He couldn't grow facial hair. He's an alopecia man? He, yeah, he could not grow facial hair. He couldn't do it. But the body had a mustache. So she never thought that he was actually dead. She ran into him 10 years later in Vegas. She ran into her husband who wasn't actually what? dead. Yeah. 
His death was faked. Oh, I thought it was just like a fun like night in the fucking coroner's room. Nope. She ran just into like, him. Let's give him a mustache. So all of this is to say there's pounds. I have to measure it by oh, wait, the pound. What happened there? Was what? she just like. It was never uh, confirmed. Uh, uh, I mean, well, obviously it was never confirmed. You couldn't say it. Ah, well. But she vehemently believes that that's the case. He now, just like didn't respond. That's crazy. Yeah, so what we also want to talk about really, really quick, just to give us a background, the ending is where I'm sure some people are going to be like, no, that's crazy, right? The truth of the matter is, Frank Sturgis, the guy that we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the assassins, Frank Sturgis actually, in a lot of interviews, multiple different interviews, talks about body switching being a very prominent tactic among the political powers, and... It's something, not necessarily cadavers, but more so that the idea of a body double and somebody to be a stand-in is a very common thing to make sure that safety is a number one priority. All right? Makes sense. Yeah, they're they're nefarious. So, with all of this being said, and with the literal pounds of information that was not to be included in this episode, just for my sanity at this point, okay? That is the theory of what happened to JFK. And this is why it's crazy. But this is why some of it might make sense. Obviously, we know the three powerhouses that were calling the shots all had reason to want him dead, right? We know that George H.W. got a nice promotion after this. We know that the mafia was allowed to sort of continue their shady business and also work with the CIA. Because LBJ... uh got a fucking presidency so he's the, you know he's getting some out of it and he laid off all of them so it's all just like it all just makes sense and yeah and to tie it back to the very very beginning of the episode the fascist corporate governing people got exactly what they wanted because we went to Vietnam and all of those companies and plenty more that I talked about earlier all got paid a lot of fucking money to go back to Vietnam a lot of them yeah Everybody won. All the three people, all the three you know entities that were in on this, supposedly, they all benefited separately. And everybody was happy. The CIA went on. It's still a thing today. The mafia slowed down, at least in the news, but their tactics and their people are still fucking around. I'm sorry to tell you. That's the truth. And these crazy, fascist, monster, rich, money-hungry motherfuckers Got what they wanted, didn't they? Well, and they're still getting what they want. If you want to get that crazy, and if you if you buy this theory, they did it again. They did this shit again in 2001. Yeah. They did it again 50 years later. They fucking pulled it off one more time. Yeah, and the Bush was involved in that one too, but he was more of a, he was a patsy there. Yeah, he was more of a bystander on that one, but yeah. They literally sent him to read to kids. As it was happening. <laughs> yeah, Bush threw his own son under the bus to make that happen. But that's the thing. When you talk about this shit, money is over everything. Even family do a lot of these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Yeah, the almighty dollar. That is the ultimate slash final theory on what happened to JFK. Holy shit, that feels good to be done with that. That oh, yeah, shit that was, hurt my head all yeah, day. Yeah, that was excellent. Yeah, you, you've been just kind of going nonstop this whole time. Oh, my God. that sh- I got to I gotta hit my vape. Hold you on. know what's funny about that? Probably not true either. 
nothing that we've ever said in any of these three episodes is probably what happened. I I like to think it's a mix of some of the things we said. But, like, that's the thing. It's like everybody understands that it is a mix of all these things that people keep bringing up. But then the fact that everyone's trying to get to the bottom of it, they keep, like, there, there's all these different perspectives and... Uh, what's that most recent term? Alternative facts. Yeah, like that that arise and it's all that shit. It's it's so muddled at this point that we will never know. No, but and, what you just said was fucking cool. And I'll tell you this: and it does make sense of this theory. I I did not give it full justice. I truly didn't because I I was trying to teach myself a lot of this shit. And it was hard. All right, it was hard. <laughs> it's a lifestyle choice. I guarantee, if you were really committed to doing this and you just kept looking into the JFK thing, uh, you would not be getting married. No, you would be on the street, Dude, and just yelling at anyone at any bus stop that you could. The shit that I watched and read this week probably took thirty years or more. I mean, the sh- the documentary came out in 2014, okay? Like, this shit took almost 50 fucking years. It was when I graduated high school. And the thing about it is, they still don't have the answers. And I did this shit in, like, four days, okay? So I have way less answers than these guys. But of this theory, the things that are, to me, very big takeaways is something that probably, even if it wasn't the driving force, things that actually did happen was obviously the to me the three pronged approach the corporations run by possible fascist or fascist sympathizers the mob and the CIA did work together to achieve this goal um I, to me I think that's very evident in a lot of ways no yeah they had every reason to and almost no reason not to at this yeah. point um the other thing would be that uh Lee Harvey Oswald was nothing but a patsy for sure and um, he told us. He fucking told us, man. Yeah, there's, he was 1,000% a patsy. All bite a little unhinged, but, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the other part is, there's a few things. So, first off, the shots, the trajectory of the actual bullets, I believe, from this theory. Um, maybe there weren't 16, but they were definitely coming from different angles and not from the book depository. Yeah. Um. As well as pretty much the idea that there were multiple shooters. Not saying there were eight or nine, but there was more than one. I'll tell you that. There was more than yeah. one. Well, and, and I mean, like, there's even other theories that people have backed up with other professionals who have used real-life science and, like, math to say, like, no, it's impossible that it came from this direction. It came from this direction. Some people think the Secret Service accidentally killed him with a fucking AR-15. Yeah. You know, like, it, there's... There's a lot of people saying a lot of different things, and a lot of them are backed up by actual facts. So it's just, it's a fucking shit show. I'll tell you this. We don't often link YouTube videos to our uh, episodes. I think you should should definitely do that. I'm absolutely doing it. Um, This thing is the Mac Daddy of the conspiracy theory. It spans from right around the end of World War I all the way through till post 9-11, up until about 2005. Um, when the Sox won the World Series. It's got names, dates, receipts. It's got everything you want to know. Things that can be corroborated. They're hard to find. It is it is the love child of a fucking mad historian. All right? That is what this is. Um, definitely check it out if you want more information. Even if you just like conspiracy theories, it's worth a listen. 
it's going to get your attention. Like, you will not be able to... You might need to stop it from time to time to get a break, but you're going to want to go back to it. Um, I watched it, and I want to watch it again. That That's how good it was. I want to watch it again. Yes. Um, so I'll put that down below. But with that being said, I am tired of hearing my own voice. So that was a great episode, and I love you guys very much, and I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah, thanks for doing the heavy lifting there for this episode. That was uh, hey, that's very right. much appreciated because I would not have been here. able to so eloquently say all that without reading it off of a piece of paper, and that would have taken me probably three weeks to write. It's all right. Hey, we take turns here. You know, that's that's what we, we take do. We're turns. Partners. We take turns, and that's it. I'm done talking. I'm all right, tired. yeah, Grant's done talking. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that, that was our that was JFK. How about that, guys? How about that? He's gone. Um, so we are starting to call this Grant of Jake. Mitch was here. He was on his phone. He was saying some stuff earlier. Um, we got a link below for the Patreon. Also for that YouTube video we were talking about. You can follow us on all the shit. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we have a YouTube. You go like and subscribe there. We're on TikTok, Wasack underscore pod. There's an email, startacult at gmail.com. We have a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, uh, God, yeah. All right, so yeah, I'm looking forward to not uh, having... To not have to talk about JFK anymore. My mouth hurts. Next week. Man. <sighs> yeah. That was All intense. Right. God damn. All right. Well, uh, so yeah, we love you. We're starting to call it this Grand Up Jake Mitch is here. My, you want to do Benane's? Oh, he has to. He has to. I'd he hasn't responded, he but I'm assuming it's just it's gonna the indignation at the fact I'd even ask. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.